Welcome to another Third Flatiron podcast. Though World War II has begun to recede into history, the mountains of Vyaski Tatra in Slovakia still bear witness to needless suffering and famine in Eastern Europe and Ukraine. Elizabeth Beechwood's inspiring folk tale, Yes, 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 We Remember, takes us on a journey to the past to remind us that hope always rises anew. Elizabeth was born and raised in southern New Jersey, but lived all over the U.S., including Montana and Alaska, where she learned a love of the mountains and forests. She began writing later in life and earned her MFA in popular fiction at the University of Southern Maine's Stone Coast program. For more from Third Flatiron, check out our website at thirdflatiron.com and subscribe to our feed. You can support our podcasts at patreon.com slash thirdflatiron. And now, here's Yes, 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 We Remember, read by Keely Rue. On the first day of May, the western slope always leans in and says, Remember that spring when the soldiers came? As if we could ever forget. But it has become our custom to wait for her to remind us, and then we bow our heads and say, Yes, 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 we remember. The northern peak takes up the story and says, Remember that winter after that spring? And we all say, Yes, 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 we remember. As if we could ever forget. On the first day of May, the good people of Holobitsia always hauled the statue of their virgin goddess out of the church and into the field. They festooned her with flowers and sang and danced in gratitude for her protection through the previous long winter. The women scrubbed themselves clean in the baths, baked nut bread, and wore their best aprons, elaborately embroidered with red symbols of faith and protection. It was not a large celebration, and most of the men never bothered to come in from tilling the freshly thawed soil to participate. No, it was the women who kept the spiritual aspect of the community alive. That May, the soldiers came from the east, the eastern Grand Summit continues. Soldiers dressed in brown uniforms marched through our valleys, and fought with our soldiers dressed in blue. They won the battle and flew their red flag in the centrum as a sign of their power. Our people largely ignored these new soldiers. The village borders were as fluid as the Kamenek River, and our people knew that the flag flying in the centrum was not the truth of who they were, the truth that ran in their blood. They were the children of the Voiska Tatri, as much as the gentle deer and wild Rusalka. The brown-uniformed soldiers stayed back, out of the way, and didn't interfere with the daily lives of the people. At first, the people didn't see any difference in the new government. Then autumn came, and it was harvest time, the southern basin reminds us. Yes, 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 we remember. The farmers brought in their harvests of wheat, rye, potatoes, and apples. The shepherds ushered their sheep in from the summer pastures. Men and boys chopped wood to keep everyone warm during the coming winter months. And the brown-uniformed soldiers built checkpoints on all the roads, in and out of Holovitsia. Our people began to grumble. Harvests were confiscated and shipped to the new capital. Our people began to shout. Sheep were herded away. Chickens, pigs, and cows were taken. Wood was gathered to supply the insatiable needs of the soldiers. Our people took up arms. The new government clamped its iron fist upon them. 
When the snow began to stick to the ground, the soldiers pulled out of the village, burning stores and warehouses as they went. They chopped the largest trees down across the road so no one could follow or return to Holubitsa. The village was blocked from the world, left to collapse upon itself under the heavy snows piling up in drifts. It grew quiet in the village, no chickens fussing with each other, no cows chewing their cuds, no oxen lounging in the barns after a satisfying harvest. The market in the centrum, usually bustling and colorful even in the winter, sat barren. People spoke in hushed voices and huddled under blankets. They rarely came out of their homes, except to dash to a neighbor's house. The cries of babies echoed through our valleys and struck deep into our granite hearts. It did not take long for our people to begin to starve, the southern basin always says next. Yes, 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 we remember. Our people began to fight with each other. They began to blame, to kill. Some hid in bunkers and caves. Some hid in basements or barns. Some congregated in the church, pleading for their virgin goddess to help them. But she was a demure goddess with a bowed head and little power. Theresia, the deposed mayor's wife, gathered up a few of the women, women who understood, and they went to the churchyard garden. They gathered under the grand oak, where stood a statue of another goddess with stars upon her veil and hope in her smile. Her face was upturned and her arms outstretched, and the power of the Vyosketatri flowed up through her and into the world. The women knelt on the hard ground and burnt white candles and pleaded for the goddess's assistance. And we heard them. We are, after all, a manifestation of the goddess. We should help them, we whispered in unison to all the creatures in our valleys, on our slopes and peaks. We must all support each other as children of the goddess. Bear argued, Look what they do to me. They kill my cubs in the den. They hunt me down, even when I hide deep in the forest. Why should I help them? It is best if they all die. The little domovoi shivered in their cold hearths. Without the people of our houses, we have no food. But worse yet, we have no purpose to our existences. We must save the people, or we will grow thin and blow away in the wind, forgotten. Fox said, they shoot my kind for sport and don't even eat the meat. They chop trees without regard to the life they take. And, look, they dig into the heart of you four and mine your insides and leave a mess that kills us. They throw their waste in the rivers and expect it to wash away. Why would we help them? Let them die. We will be better off without them. We conferred and considered their words. We fussed and debated. But... In the deep bedrock of our collective heart, we knew we couldn't turn away from the people we loved so dearly. Yes, they dug into our bodies and left only death. Yes, they chopped down our trees, without regard to how it affected the other trees. Yes, the people did all of these selfish things. But even as we listed the things they had done to us, we still couldn't let them die. For we had seen their love for us as well, in their festivals and in the carvings they made in their houses, in the way they cared for orphaned animals, and the way they cared for each other. We tried to keep the wind and snow from falling on the town. But it was cold, so cold, 
There was nothing we could do about that. The Domovoi dug into their stores of food and left as much as they could at the hearths where they had been fed for generations. The doves, for which the village was named, joined in, since they had nothing but good from the people. They flew tirelessly into the forest to gather twigs and small branches to burn. The chickadees and nuthatches dug out seeds they had cached under tree bark and shared it with the women who came to pray to their wild goddess. And yet, it was not enough. Deer gave themselves up for food. And yet, it was not enough. The people tore down houses and burned them for the heat. The people drank melted snow with pine needles in it. And yet, it was not enough. The northern peak whispers, and then the Rusalka came, and we all huddle together so the Rusalka, the wild and dangerous spirits, won't hear us. Yes, 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 we remember. The Rusalka, lured by death and easy prey, were lounging in the Kamenek River behind the church and heard Teresia praying to the goddess. Teresia, Teresia, they sing-sanged, come to the river. Teresia knew they were the Rusalka, but went to the river anyway. Her shoes crunched on the ice collecting along the shore. What do you want from me? she asked them in a voice that shook. The first Rusalka laughed and tossed her wet hair over her shoulder. What are you praying to the goddess for? Do you think she will really help you? Teresia was a smart woman, suspicious and smart. I think she can, and has sent you to save us. Save you? The second Rusalka laughed as a necklace of vertebrae clattered around her neck. We have plenty to eat this winter. Why would we want that to end? We'll grow fat, the third giggled as she picked her teeth with a shard of bone. Teresia said, You cannot grow fat on skin and bones, and that is all that is left of us. The first Rusalka swam closer to the shore. Even if we wanted to help you, there is nothing we can do. Did the soldiers block the river? Can you still swim to the other villages, the cities in the foothills? Can you bring food back to us? The second Rusalka laughed again, a high-pitched laugh that was almost a hysterical scream. Teresia's skin crawled, and we whispered to her, Run! But she held her ground. Why would we keep you alive? There are other people to lure into our rivers and drown. The third stopped giggling. She whispered to her sister, the first Rusalka, Without the people to believe in us, we will fade and blow away, and the women here are the most devout to our goddess. The first Rusalka nodded. We will help you. The second Rusalka said, What? We are the Rusalka. We do not help people. There are plenty of other people to prey upon. Shut up, the first Rusalka said to her sister, then to Teresia. Of course, there's always a price. Of course, Teresia said. What is yours? The first Rusalka tilted her head, considering, and merely smiled and dove under the cold Kamenek ice and disappeared. The other two Rusalka gave Teresia one last look, then joined their sister. Teresia shivered and wondered what she had just bargained away. 
food began to appear along the frozen riverbank, and warm clothing. It was not enough to save all of the people, but it did save some. Finally, spring came, as she always does, and the soldiers with blue uniforms returned and flew their flag in the centrum. Our people came from their homes, their bunkers and barns, their caves and cabins. No one mentioned that the food had been taken, and the people of Holubitsa had been left to die, to be exterminated not by soldiers, but by each other. Our people were too tired to do anything more than take the food and clothes and seeds the new soldiers brought, and return to their fields. No one could look their neighbor in the eye for years. The purple crocuses bloomed that year, just like they always did, and Teresia gathered a handful on her way to the Kamenek River. The Rusalka were combing their hair along the bank, where grass was beginning to grow. I'm here to make good on our deal, she said. The second Rusalka laughed and nudged the third Rusalka. I always love this part, she said. The first Rusalka swam over to Teresia and crossed her arms over her chest. Everyone pays a price. Are you ready? I am. What do you want? The first Rusalka looked at Teresia, standing bravely on the shore, her clavicle poking out at sharp angles under her threadbare shirt. Her skirt was ripped around its hem. The soles of her shoes were held on with leather strips. What could the Rusalka demand that had not already been taken from this woman? The flowers, the first Rusalka said. I want the flowers. Her sisters gasped. But I want her, the second Rusalka whined. What do we want flowers for, the third Rusalka grumbled. Teresia picked her way carefully to the water's edge and reached down to the first Rusalka to hand over the purple crocuses. And the Rusalka rose up in the water, her face upturned and her arms outstretched, and the power of the Vyosketatri flowed up through her as she took the gift that Teresia offered, the gift of flowers. On the first day of May, the western slope likes to remind us of how, after that winter, the celebration changed. Yes, 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 we remember. The statue of their virgin goddess is hauled out of the church and into the field, where they festoon her with flowers. But no one dances or sings. Our people are quiet now, the horrors of that winter buried deep inside them, weighing them down and choking their words passing on to their children and their children's children, buried so deeply that we fear their hearts will crack like granite boulders. No, they do not dance or sing. Instead, the women scrub themselves clean in the baths, bake nut bread, and wear their best aprons elaborately embroidered with red symbols of faith and protection. Small sculptures of birds and deer are placed around the statues. Extra food is left by the hearth, for the domovoi that night. Flowers are thrown into the river for the Rusalka. It is not a large celebration, and most of the men never bother to come in from tilling the freshly thawed fields to participate. No, it was the women who kept the spiritual aspect of the community alive. And the women whisper, yes, 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 we remember.
Thanks for listening to this podcast from thirdflatiron.com. Original music by Disco Volante. Sound production was by Andrew Cairns.